What if? What if the struggle isn't real? What if everything you've been told is impossible is actually deliciously feasible? What if you could work anywhere, travel, find your purpose, all while growing your wealth and not spending it? Welcome to the Struggle Isn't Real podcast. I'm Cody Sanchez-Baker, and, and my job here is to share how normal people have self-designed their lives, relationships, jobs, and bodies. The question to ask yourself is simply this. What if it was easy? Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to another episode of The Struggle Isn't Real. I'm Cody Sanchez-Baker, and my job here is to share with you stories of humans just like you and I, who are on their climb, and to share their best practices, tips, and tricks that you can apply to your life and redefining the way that you live. I'm particularly excited for today because I have on here somebody who really redefines redefinition. I have with me Paul Francisco. Now, now set the scene here. You know, I'm at the Gaylord, Texas for a Latino convention. So picture if, you know, Disneyland were an indoor hotel on steroids and filled with Latinos, and you get the picture. I'm at a little cantina chatting with none other than Paul about how our stories have evolved since I left the company where he heads diversity and inclusion. And as we pass innumerable tables and groups of people, I get a glimpse of why Paul is such a special dude. I'm with the proverbial mayor. You know, he stops, shakes hands, gives hugs, dar's besos, and congratulates on the myriad of successes of the humans around him. Now, I know literally no one, but Paul seems to have that inherent quality of making all 3,000 attendees feel that they really are his gente, his people. And that is Paul. He's, you know, 6'3", big, huge, giant guy, former Patriots NFL player, um, current finance exec, came over from Honduras, spoke no English, uh, to standing now in a power suit and sporting a big, huge smile while bringing in humans into his why. So the difference between Paul and and the many other people I chat with is is that Paul has really dedicated his life post-football to lifting up others as he climbs. And it makes sense because you'll hear from him how he conquers fear, how he tackles difficulty, what happened to him the moment he found out he would never play under the Friday night lights again. Uh, Some of his mentors being, you know, Bill Belichick and, you know, the big names that you hear of in football. And you'll also hear stories about how at one point, you know, he gave away his shoes in Honduras when another kid next to him had none. Um, And he applies that tenacity to everything he does. So I think today you're really going to enjoy, as Paul tells his story, breaks down how he found his why, breaks down the quotes and the mantras that have defined his life, and the strategies he uses to overcome obstacles, push through anxiety, and add focus when fear faces him. So listen in today. I think you're going to learn a lot. So, Paul, thank you for being here. Cody, thank you for having me. Excited to be here with you. Well, great. Okay, we're going to dig into it. And um, so, as I mentioned in the beginning, Paul and I worked together at a really large financial institution for a number of years. And, you know, we, we sat down not too long ago and, and started talking about, you know, how Paul came from Honduras to the U.S. to do something that every kid in the U.S. dreams about, which is playing in the NFL and Friday Night Lights. 
Um, so I would love to hear the story through your voice. Paul, can you tell them, tell us how you got from there to here in, in your own words? Uh, thanks, Cody. I, I think it's important to actually highlight the fact that I did not come here thinking that I was going to be uh, under the Friday Night Lights or even remotely playing the NFL. I had never played American football before in my life and didn't know what it was. So it, it just happened by a kind of, uh, I wouldn't say happenstance, but a, a number of different uh, things that aligned for me. Uh, one, obviously, was the, the opportunity I had to come here to this country. I originally thought I was coming for a two-week vacation, and I uh, very quickly found out that uh, my mother had different plans for me, and she wanted me to stay and go to school here. So I had to adapt very quickly. I had to, uh, like we like to say today, nowadays, pivot and figure out what was I going to do with the rest of my life and how was I going to adapt to a new culture. Um, so ended up going to high school here for two years. Uh, didn't speak any English when I first came here. Uh, to Boston, and um, I was introduced to the game of football by uh, a friend of mine who invited me to come out and practice um, with them and the football team. Now, I, I got all excited, showed up to the football field, um, and when I showed up uh, uh, in the high school, everyone, everybody turned and started laughing at me, and I didn't understand why they were laughing. Well, as it turns out, I thought it was football, not football, um, and everybody else was you know, dressed with helmets and shoulder pads. I didn't even know what those were. And, um, you know, the coach at the time just saw me and said, hey, son, I, I'd love to teach you how to play football if you'd like to learn American football, that is. And I said, sure. You know, and it was one of the first lessons for me to say, look, you have to take chances. You have to, you don't know what a particular decision may uh, make or do for your the rest of your life. But I took a chance. I didn't know anything about the game, but I figured, why not? Why not try it? I'm here, so I might as well try it. And I did. A couple of days later, I came back and had my physical, had my equipment measured, uh, you know, and I felt weird wearing all that equipment. But uh, the rest is history, as they say. I ended up going to uh, Boston University on a, on a football scholarship. Um, I did very well academically as well. Uh, that was another one of the lessons that I learned, that it doesn't matter how good you are at sports there's always that mental um, capacity that you need to have to play a sport at a high level. And uh, from, a, from, a, from that perspective, my grades were really important. There were other two other players in my high school team that, that were better athletes than I was and could have gone to a D1 school, play for you know Penn State. We were all being recruited for Penn State, Florida, uh, Georgetown for basketball. And, but they didn't make it unfortunately because they didn't have good enough grades so i was lucky enough to to or i guess prepared enough to have the grades ended up going to uh, college uh, still when i got to bu i did not know that i would be i guess good enough to to make it to the nfl and that wasn't my goal at that time my goal at the time was to get a degree and then move on to uh, do something professionally uh, and it just so happened that my junior year um the scouts were coming around they were saying paul you're well, they weren't saying it to me, but to my coach that I had uh, the tools uh, that, that it took to get to the next level. And uh, when my coach let me know that, then I kind of refocused my what my goal was going to be for my senior year and uh, prepare myself to to possibly uh, be selected to enter in the NFL. And I, I was fortunate enough to get the opportunity. So I did. That's incredible. I didn't even know that story. So, so, <laughs> so tell me. I mean, obviously, to go to, to BU, which is a, a hugely academically rigorous school, um, and play football, which I know I 
tutored athletes when I was in college and those two a days and the amount of work that you have to put in that is certainly physical, but mentally draining just in its intensity is mm-hmm. astounding, I think. So where did you get the, the drive to do both and the, the, you know, awareness that you needed to? Did you read something that influenced you? Was it your parents? How did you even know to do this? My parents have been a great, great influence uh, for me throughout my my whole life. Uh, my mom, um, you know, was a, a high school um, and educator, teacher. My father, uh, an engineer by trade um, and a Renaissance man by by desire. He he was a, a jack of all trades. So they taught me the value of hard work. They taught me the value of education and, and focus. And so for me, my number one goal had always been uh, going into school, had always been academics, not athletics. It just so happened that I enjoyed athletics. Uh, I was I happened to be good at, at some of them. And so I applied both. And I, I really do think that you can do it all. I, I don't believe that you, you, you can only be good at one thing and not the other. Um, if you put your mind to it, you focus to it, you, you can be a great athlete and you can be a great student. Um, and that's what I set out to do. I, I just, I don't know. Um, I think part of it came from the, the, the teachings and education I learned from my parents, but also you have to, at one point, decide what you want to do with your life and what kind of person you want to be. I had a lot of people that surrounded me that were great mentors and, and, and great examples and, and role models. And earlier on in my life, I had the fortune uh, of one in particular uh, who taught me the value of how work um, both on the field and in the classroom. And that was my coach, um, Jose Letona from, from Honduras, from Honduras, that uh, really taught me. I, I was a basketball player at that point. And, um, and some of the workouts that he used to put us through were tremendously rigorous. But then on top of that, mentally, he would make sure that we were prepared to 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 win and to compete and to never give up. And I think those lessons stay with me through high school, stay with me through college, and to this day. I mean, I you know there there's there's a mantra that I live by uh, that I learned from him and other and other of my coaches. In the three years that I had uh, the fortune of playing in the NFL, a short-lived career because of injury, um, I learned from three of the best coaches uh, in the NFL, three Hall of Famers. Bill Parcells, <laughs> Bill Belichick, and um, uh, in Miami, uh, I had the fortune uh, of being there with uh, Coach Don Shula, who uh, a year prior to his retirement. So, imagine those three minds molding a young person, right from a from a from a physical perspective, more from a mental perspective. Uh, so, I think it's important to have both, and I think a combination of all those things is what has gotten me to where I am from a from a professional perspective as well, because I've used the same teachings and the same uh, learn uh, learnings, I guess, uh, from those people and apply them to what I'm doing today. I love it. Well, and I think you're so right. Like what you talked about being able to be mentally challenged and engaged and valuing that and physically is huge. And I always go back to, you know, I think it was Benjamin Franklin who talks about being healthy, wealthy, and wise. And and, and mm-hmm. I think that's right. You know, it's kind of like the three legs of of a stool. If your body is not healthy, then, you know, you, you can't really enjoy the fruits of your labor as far as wealth is concerned. And if your mind's not healthy, then you can't maybe enjoy mentally the life that you're living and the health that you're having. And so I think these days we tend to want to compartmentalize humans. If you're an athlete, then 
you're an athlete. And if you're a professional, you know, you're a professional. And we don't like this idea of mixing, but I think that's huge as a takeaway for people to think that in fact, they're all really intricately connected. No? You know, one of the biggest misconceptions is that athletes are not multidimensional and that they're, uh, especially football athletes, uh, there's a, um, for for people that know any don't know any better, there's a presumption or assumption that they they they're not smart or that they are just meatheads. Uh, excuse the, the the word, but but the, the the truth is, you have to be such a um, mental person to be able to 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 take in the game of football. It's an intricate 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 game. It's a game of when they say inches, it really is is a game of inches. And you have to be disciplined and you have to, you know, when you look at the playbooks that these uh, guys carry around, the amount of information that is in those playbooks is amazing. So you have to be able to, within seconds, um, recall 100 different variations of that one play. And maybe I'm exaggerating when I say hundreds, but maybe 10 or 15 different variations of that one particular play call that was called in the huddle and be able to apply the changes that it takes to run that route, I was an offense, um, I was a tight end, to run that route and be able to adjust on the fly. So mentally, uh, it's, 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 it's really what matters. So when you get to the NFL, when you get to that level, everyone has the same physical ability for the most part. Everybody can bench pretty much the same, can run as fast, can jump, do all the physical things that it requires you to be a, a good athlete. But to be a great athlete is that mental piece, right? So it's 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 really eighty percent mental, twenty percent physical when it comes to that to the game, and a lot of people don't realize that. So one of the biggest misconceptions is that you know uh, athletes are, are are just you know just athletes, and they, they 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 don't have the capacity to be great you know educators or great learners or or, or, or smart people because uh, or they can't accomplish anything else other than athletics because they, they're not smart enough and that's just absolutely not true right i couldn't agree more i would be in huge trouble if i had to recall all of those plays while working out i mean i can barely remember <laughs> my workout routine when lifting i think my brain shuts <laughs> off um so let me ask you something else so one of the things that i love about um about you and your life story is that you have done what you said you've pivoted you've recreated your life uh in multiple v- very distinct industries, uh, if you want to call it. And, and what I love, too, is you have this unique thing, which is you guys haven't seen Paul and you can't see him right now, but he's a big dude, right? He's like, a, you know, he's really tall. I'm sure your high school uh, football coach was pretty excited when you came on board. Um, <laughs> and so you have this strength that's very apparent from, from your physical presence, but you also have this vulnerability and um, you know, humanness that you're, you're like, Hey, you know, there are things that I will admit I've done wrong, or there's things, there are things that are, have been challenging for me. And you told me one story about the day that you never, you, the day that you found out you'd never play football again. And the story of, of where you went from that. And I would love you to share that story. Yeah. So, you know, I, the day, how it happened, I was on the football field. I, I uh, sustained a pretty serious injury to my neck. I was, Laying on the ground um, and immobile for about 10, 15 minutes, I was paralyzed. I, you know, uh, sort of all kinds of things uh, were flashing through my through my mind. Um, and at that moment, I knew my career was over. Right? Um, 
uh, doctors examined me, went through MRIs and all, you know, and there were two choices. So when I sat down with the doctor a couple of days later and said, Paul, you have two choices. You can go through this extensive surgery and try to uh, make a recovery or you can retire. Um, and I didn't even think about it twice, Cody. I, I literally, I knew it was done. And as much as it pained me because it was something that I was really enjoying, I was really becoming good at, um, I knew that that I was not going to risk my body, uh, you know, and my health for 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 the game. And I knew that there were bigger things that I wanted to do with my life. And as difficult as I was, I decided to retire. So I never forget backing up my car. I was in Baltimore. I was part of the team that had um, just moved from Cleveland to Baltimore. Packed up my car and had about an eight-hour drive back to Boston. Um, cried for a, about the first hour. <laughs> I'm driving and I'm crying, I'm bawling, right? Because it's, it's, it was kind of mourning the loss of, of that uh, of that part of my life. But then something happened where immediately, and again, this this uh, is part of that 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 pivot and that flexibility. That okay, what 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 do you do now? Uh, mentality, right? That all right, get it together, and now let's figure out what's next. And after that, I, it just started rolling through my Rolodex in my mind. Who do I know? What I want to do? What I want to know about? And who I need to connect with to figure out what I want to do next? Um, and I did that. I, I ended up running into a former um, teammate of mine from college who at that time was working uh, in HR at a, at a large insurance company. And we, through just talking, he said, hey, you know, have you ever thought about doing insurance? And I said, no, no, not really, but I'll, I'll check it out. And so I did, um, went in for an interview. I didn't even know anything about insurance or the insurance industry. Um, ended up talking mostly that I was interviewed by a number of um, um, guys, right, who were mostly interested in hearing about my football exploits. Um, and I was sitting there trying to figure out what am I interviewing for, right? And I did an interview. I, I, I kind of laughed. I was a little confused because I, I still didn't know what the job was or whether, you know, how to answer any of the questions correctly get back to my car and I get the call from my friend saying, Hey, you got the job. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's great. Um, but, but one thing that struck me about that, that, that was, and I think it kind of aligned, uh, aligned up what I decided to do next with my career. So I accepted the job. I started with this insurance firm, great company. Um, but during that interview, what I noticed it was very stark to me was that all the you and me, uh, were all male and they were all white. And that just struck me as odd, right? Uh, for a number of different reasons. And my and I and my naivete, I I kind of started questioning why that was and I started doing a little bit more digging once I joined the company and, and to what why that was. Um and you know that kind of set me up for, for, for the rest of, of my career or at least what I wanted to do uh, for the rest of my career. So um, you know, I think that's, that's what happened at that time in my life. I, I was able to really uh, shift my mindset. Yes, did I miss, miss football? Absolutely. Um, there was a period of about five years where I actually didn't even watch football because I didn't want to it just conjure up so too many great memories, but also very sad memories for me. Um, and I, I just focused on, you know, developing myself as the best professional I could um, in a new in a new arena, if you will, right, in a new uh, competitive environment. Uh, and again, as I mentioned before, it did actually, uh, the skills that I learned in the football field really have helped me throughout my career. 
I love that. And one of the things that I thought was the most interesting about this story is getting people to like you and that likability factor being huge. And I think that's something you've done throughout your career. Well, you know, I, I think what it comes down for me is authenticity. Um, I think when you are authentic, uh, when you are able to be who you are and show that to the world and be proud of it, I, I think that kind of shows through it, no matter who you are, no matter what you do. And, and for me, I, I've always tried to be as authentic as, as possible. There is something to be said about having a pleasant personality and, 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 and then smiling. I mean, it, it just it permeates through. And I think uh, human nature is one that uh, that when you when you either a exude that that authenticity and that personality and that and that pleasantness about yourself, you, you can go further in life. Right. Uh, this is saying. Um, you know, something that you can get more with sugar uh, than with vinegar. And, and for me, that has been true. Yeah, absolutely. My, my, my... Well, especially yeah. because you and I talked about, so, you know, I'm, I'm Latina and, um, and a woman. And so we've, we've talked a lot about diversity because you're black and from Honduras and you're a dude. So in finance, you're not a minority in that aspect. But we right. kind of check two diversity boxes, which is a totally un-PC thing to say. But sometimes I think we're too, like there's nothing wrong with being a minority of any type or being a woman. And so sometimes I think we kind of tiptoe around it. Yeah. In fact, it's like a beautiful thing. And um, one of the things that I love the most in our conversations is, you know, we talk a little bit about the difficulties of being different. Um, and, and the reason I bring that up is because I think one of the most important parts when perhaps you are a little bit different or you could be seen as intimidating, you know, because you're a big dude. And some people have told me I can be because I'm kind of aggressive and intense. How do you manage that? And so I think the pleasantness portion, it may sound like, okay, so you smile more, but in actuality, that likability is, is huge. So, um, I think that that's a really important point. And it, it kind of takes me around to my next point for you, which is, you know, you can get a job. You, we, we all have strengths, right? And I think some of yours are um, your ability to pivot, to pick things up really quickly, and to build this relationship with a human who may not know you very well, but immediately they feel that connection. And mm -hmm. so you could have gone a lot of ways in your career. Uh, we're, you know, we're both in finance. And um, you chose to go into diversity and, and inclusion, right? And to help bring other people along who maybe look like both of us might in some aspects. So talk to me about that decision. What made you decide to do that? And why do you think that that is, why is that important that we have those kind of roles? Yeah. So, so for me, it has come down to a couple of defining moments, right, in, in, in my life where I, I've sort of had to say, what, what, is, what is the value, Paul, that you want to bring to this world, right? So when, when, when you go uh, and what's going to be written in your tombstone, what is that epithet? What is, what is that going to say about you and what you, and what you uh, contributed to, to, to society, I guess? And not to sound hokey, but... And for me, I decided, and that's when, when we talked, I could have stayed and gone into the, you know, hey, I want to become a trader or an analyst or one of those, you know, big money people. 
Um, but I decided that I could use my talents to do something different, um, to have more impact and to, if I wasn't going to be the one, if I didn't want to do that, to allow and to open up the door for others to do so. So when I, um, I, you know, if you remember, I said that one of the defining moments for me was when I was being interviewed. That was my first, really my first interview, right? In corporate America. And it was literally a panel of six white males. And I, I just, I started the question why that is. Um, and so I quickly decided I was going to do something about it. And for the first three years of my career, I couldn't do it directly because I was in a finance uh, um, or financial role versus an HR type of role. But I started volunteering, right? I started volunteering for recruiting events because I knew that if people saw people like look like them when they're being recruited, that that was a better possibility for them to say, hey, I want to work for that company. There's somebody there that looks like me and possibly that has a great career, and maybe I can too. Um, and, you know, then I became, um, then there was an opportunity to uh, join the talent uh, development team, and I became a trainer. And during that time, I was able to mold, you know, the minds of the people that were coming into the organization, but then that wasn't good enough because the classes that we were, we were bringing in were still not diverse enough. And then um, there was the opportunity to join the uh, recruiting team. And I said, you know what? I, I want it. I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to have a direct impact on the talent that was coming into the organization. Um, and my sort of diversity and inclusion journey began then because then I was able to, I just got a lot of satisfaction out of being able to, 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 to be um, an ambassador for the organization that I work for, but also to be a talent scout, you know, and for me, talent came in many different shapes and forms. And because I was one of the shape and forms that wasn't being considered at that time uh, at that firm, you know, I wanted to make sure that they knew that there were others like me out there that had the talent to join the firm and to be successful in the firm. So that became a calling for me. Um, and then, you know, as I got into more of the programming things, what are the things that we can do institutionally to change the dynamics of what people think of you know, whether it's women or uh, diverse, uh, other diverse populations, whether it be, you know, ethnicity or or sexual orientation or religion, whatever it is, I wanted to make sure that um, my, uh, my mark was going to be that um, whatever organization I joined was um, going to be more inclusive. Yeah, I love that. So, so what about, you know, there are two things that stood out to me about what you just said. I speak a lot about um, finding your why or finding the unique thing that is going to fuel you through life. Because no matter what, even if we're following our passion, there are going to be difficulties, right? So a lot, you know, this, this podcast is called The Struggle Isn't Real, but it's a little tongue-in-cheek. And, and the reason is because I don't think you feel like it's a struggle when you know at the end of the day that you are working towards something bigger than you when it's something bigger than a paycheck, when it's something bigger than the next promotion or your ego or your car or whatever the case may be, then all of the things that stand in front of you, you have this mission that is almost impossible to not go forward. You know exactly who you're doing it for, why you're doing it and what you're doing. And what I have found is that most people, first of all, were never taught in school that, right? I mean, we're taught geography and biology and mathematics but we aren't right. really taught to internally analyze. We're taught to take in information and sort of regurgitate it. Um, and you, you said specifically there's something that is so important, which is you found 
sort of your trigger point and the, the why of your life, which is that you want to see other humans that look like you in positions of power, which is a big one for me too. And so my question there for you, I guess, is, you know, you talked about that moment that you realized at that interview and sort of the, the dynamics of it. But then did you sit down and say, like, this is it. This is what I want to do. Or do you have a process for being thoughtful about who is Paul and what is Paul going to do with his life and why is he doing it? Yeah, I, I, it, it was definitely a process. I mean, I, I knew that I wanted to do something. I didn't know what that something was and I didn't know how I was going to get there. Right. So that's where the planning comes into uh, into play. And, and, you know, there's a there's a there's something that I learned uh, from my coaches. Uh, one of my coaches in particular, my college coach, uh, who's since passed, but he, he was, you know, another defining thing, right. was he, he said, Paul, whatever you want to do in life, even if you don't know what it is, it's not going to happen by luck. It's going to happen by you preparing for it. And he's like, I, you know, you need to think about the five P mantra. I know it's like the five P mantra. What, what, what is that? And he's like, prior preparation prevents poor performance. And that's kind of been, you know, the thing that I live by, right? So it, it, for me, it doesn't matter. I don't know where I'm going to be 10 years from now, but I know that I'm preparing today for the, for that, whatever that is. And so for me, it was a journey of learning, you know, um, self-reflection. You, you definitely need to take the time. And you said something, Cody, that's, that's really, truly insightful, which is, yeah, we, we, we don't we don't get taught how to reflect and how to sit back and kind of slow it down and, and really think about who we are as people, who we are as professionals and what we want to be. And I think that, you know, I, 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 I was taught that I was, you know, in sports, you do a lot of, a lot of that. You do a lot of uh, visualization, right? Because in order to, to get to the goal, you almost have to have lived it before, right? You almost have to have imagined it. Um, you know, my coach always used to say, when you get to the end zone, you've been there before, act like it, right? And, but, but a thousand times, I picture myself scoring a touchdown. I picture myself making the ball. So that when it came time to do it, it was just kind of, you know, a, a natural thing. Um, so for me, it's, it's, it's a journey. You definitely need to take the time to, to be reflective, to slow things down, um, to think, uh, to visualize. Right, and then and then to come up with with a stake in the ground, make a plan, put put a stake in the ground, say, you know what, I want to do that. And along the way, you might change your mind, which is great. But if you have that end goal in sight, um, you know, you'll either end up at that goal or way past it, because as along the way, you will have found something that you know pulled you away um, in a good way hopefully, right? And then you end up in a, in a much better place that you'd never imagine. And I think for me that that has happened a couple of times in my life where, you know, I've set a goal and, um, you know, according to, to, to myself, it was ambitious enough. And then next thing you know, I'm, I'm somewhere else where I never thought I, I would get to, but it's because I first set that, that bar. It's fantastic. Well, the visualization is huge. And I, you know, what's interesting is I think about visualization a lot in meditation, which, you know, I've over the last two years probably developed a meditation practice that has helped me a lot with difficult decisions in life and alignment and um, stress. And 
I think about visualization in meditation, but I very rarely think about it as tactically as you do, which is if I want to achieve this, what does it look like and how and visualize me sort of having it and not just huge goals, but, you know, every step along the way. I think that is a really powerful, powerful thing. And, and the other item you mentioned that triggered a thought for me was in almost every response that you've had, you've mentioned mentors or coaches or humans that touched you that left their imprint on you. Um, whether it's your five P's mantra, which I love and we'll link in the short, in the show notes, but it sounds like you've built a life around um, leveraging some of these humans who sort of speak to you with with skills you can learn from them or ideas that you can pick up from them. Do you have a process for sort of finding mentors and and how do you go about it? And how do you decide who is somebody good for you to listen to in this noisy world that we have? Um, <laughs> you know, what's, what's funny is I, I've never have gone to anyone and said, I want you to be my mentor. I, I, I've just never have done it, right? However, I have I have tons of mentors, and 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 the process that I use is what is the skill a skill set that I need to um, that I need to acquire? Who's the best at it? And let me emulate either what they do, what they say, how they do it, how they say it. And if I can get close to them and genuinely just ask questions and be around them and observe what they do. That to me becomes a mentor. They may know it, they may not know it, but for me, they're mentors. Now, officially, if you will, um, because of, of my approach, and I've had, you know, approach a couple of people and say, hey, how do you do this? Or can you tell me more about that? They have said to me, Paul, I want to be a mentor, uh, or I'm going to become your mentor. And I have two, you know, people that officially have, have played that role for me. And but I, I also like the concept of, of, you know, and you probably heard this before, talked about this before. You need to surround yourself with, with, with the, the, your, you know, you. I think of myself as, as Paul Francisco Inc., right? And I am an entity that needs uh, advice, development, marketing, um, IT advice, legal advice. So I, 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 sur- I surround myself with people that can help my entity get bigger. Uh, and more, um, I guess, renowned. And so I have a board of directors, if you will, um, that I rely on, right? So if I need legal advice, I have somebody I can go to for that. If I need uh, branding advice, I know somebody, got, actually, I need to come to you, Cody, uh, for branding <laughs> advice, right? Um, if I need advice uh, as to how to develop my career, I have somebody for that. So for me, mentors come in many different shapes, sizes, time frames. So you don't have to have a mentor that is, you know, you need to be my mentor for a year. A mentor can be a one conversation. A mentor can be one phone call. Um, a mentoring relationship can be one piece of advice. Um, so for me, I, I just take it all in. I, I none, none that I have accomplished have I done by myself completely, right? There's very few things that we do that we do all truly by ourselves. There has been someone in our lives that has influenced us, has made us think in a different way, has made us react differently has made us pause before we send that email, that scathing email that we want to reply to. And somebody said, you know what? Take 24 hours to do that. Don't do it right away. Calm yourself down. Think about what you're going to say in that email and then send it. So 
I think our success, uh, and that's why I talk a lot about the people who have helped me in my life, because I had, I know I'm humble enough to realize that I haven't done it on my own. Um, and I want to recognize those people who have helped me uh, throughout my journey. And, and, and more importantly, I'm doing the same thing for others. I am taking the time to, for the little bit that I can, to mentor others, to coach, coach others, to, to share my opinion, my experiences with them, just to talk with them younger folks about, you know, what they want to do, what their career just and desires are, and my experience. And just by me sharing that, um, I hope that I've helped many people sort of find their own whys, if you will, uh, and, and, and their own passions about what they want to do. I couldn't agree more, especially what you said, two points. The I was chuckling when you said I've never actually gone up to somebody and asked them to be my mentor because I haven't either. And I, and, and I've had it actually happen to me. I'm sure you have too, uh, where somebody asks you that. And I, and I, mm-hmm. I recall saying yes, because I, I just felt a little odd about it. But to me, that term is so broad and almost daunting, really, right. um, that I, I do very well with specific actionable asks. So your comments of, um, you know, I, I see somebody who has a skill I want to replicate and, and I get closer to them is exactly my process. And, I, and part of the reason why I started this podcast is it's a way to ask questions. It would be a little odd if I sat you down over dinner or lunch or coffee or whatever we're doing and just said, okay, Paul, 20 questions with Cody, some of your most intimate details ready, go. Um, right. And, and so I think, you know, for those listening, this idea of this, this word mentor or sponsor is so hot. And if, you know, you're in a really corporate environment, they'll say, go find a mentor. But I think that the truth is surround yourself with humans that you find interesting, that have success that you want to replicate, or that have skills you want to replicate. And if you do that, and you do it in a tactful way, and you do what you said, which was try to give back not just to those below you, but to those above you too, because they're probably busy, then you are way ahead of the game. Um, and, and the other thing that I'll say that is so funny that you said that, that Paul Francisco Inc., super powerful. I don't know why more people don't think about their life this way, but mm-hmm. if you do, in fact, have one, one life to live and you have one opportunity to learn things, why wouldn't you leverage the experts in every area surrounding you as opposed to trying to learn it all yourself or trying to do it all yourself when there really is no self-made man? So I couldn't agree more, and we'll link some of those ideas there. But I think the idea of having your own corporate board or advisory board, which is something you and I think about a lot in finance because that's how companies run, which we think about every day. But if you're out being an entrepreneur or you're out, you know, if you're, if you're taking care of your kids as your job, um, you should still have an advisory board for your life. So I think that is really powerful. Now, okay, so I have another question that I wanted to ask you specifically. So, um, you know, we talk a lot on this podcast about not just sharing your highlight reel, about sharing some of the difficulties. And so let's talk about one that's kind of a hot hot item now, which is, um, you know, I've certainly struggled in my career with being different, which is funny because all of us are different. And I think every human has this feeling. Um, we just don't all express it. Um, and, and I recall one story in particular, uh, you know, as a woman in the workforce, 
And and this was actually with a boss who I think really highly of. Um, so, you know, not a bad dude at all. But I, I was struggling with what you talked about, that we didn't have enough women in senior level positions. And that that was something that I wanted to change because, you know, there's that, I think it's a Norwegian study where they basically might not be Norway, but wherever they've had a prime minister that's been a woman for decades. And when they asked a group of, of preschoolers in, in class, in a typical um, school there, nothing special, um, boys and girls, who wants to be the next you know, prime minister of the country or president of the country? And very oddly in this country where there had been female presidents or prime ministers for decades, all the little girls raised their hands and very few boys did. And I think that's just socialization. We just replicate what we see that we can, we think we can achieve. And so at this last company, I remember sitting down with, with uh, my boss and saying, hey, I want to do a breakfast for you know, lots of the senior women here. I'll, I'll do it. I'll pay for it. I'll run with it. Um, but I just wanted to get your okay on it. And I just, I would like to know the rest of these women. And I think there should be some type of group where we all communicate because it is a little bit different. And I'll never forget his response. It was something like, you know, I don't think there's any difference between being a male or female or here, you know, we're all on the same team. So, you know, and this is from a guy, right? And, and so, you know, it took, and I was younger at the time and a little less experienced. Now my response might be a little choice, but, um, you know, at the time I just, I felt a little chastised and I felt like, oh, am I trying to be like a separatist, you know, or say that women somehow are better than men because I want to have this group. Then I really struggled with this idea of being diverse in this industry that was dominated by something other than what I was. And so that is why for me, diversity is so important. But what do you, do you have these same struggles with being different in the workplace? And then my real question there is, so how do we make those who may not categorize themselves as being some part of a, a minority group. Um, how are we not separatist and isolationist or saying we're having, you know, women's clubs or um, Latino clubs all the time? How do we see, get them to see the value in diversity? Um, so th- that, that is a very complex question, Cody, that you just posed. Uh, and, 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 and I think I'm going to try to capture what I, my feelings around that. A, I think you need to embrace your diversity. If you feel that you work in a, in a, in a workplace that you, where your diversity is not celebrated, it's not acknowledged, uh, and, it's, uh, and, it's being, uh, and you're being repressed as to who you are or you cannot be, bring yourself to your whole self to work, that is not the place for you. So I've always um, been part of organizations where I feel that I can be myself now. I don't have to hide the fact, and I can't hide the fact that I'm a, a big, you know, uh, African-American-looking guy, <laughs> right? And, and, and I embrace that. I, you know, and if anything, I, I see it as, a, as an advantage for me uh, because there are many like me around here, right, or, or, or wherever I've worked. So I use it as an opportunity to get others to get to know me, closer to me, understand. I, I always talk when I when I talk about diversity and inclusion, about I talk about three things. I talk about proximity. You you know, you need to in order to understand one another, 
you need to get close to people. You can't be afraid of asking questions. You can't be afraid of um, finding out what people's lives are outside of work and what their passions are and what their family life is like from the purposes of understanding where that, where that person comes from. So proximity is a big thing. Humility, right? It's, it's, it's being humble about who you are, being not humble in a way that you're not showing who you are, but humble in a way of, of, of saying, I'm not boastful about who I am, but I'm humble to, to know and to realize that I may not know it all and that I need to learn from others. So that is, it comes to the, to the point of inclusion. So, so humbleness is one of the, the biggest pieces of inclusion that people don't realize. It's not about being separatists, it's about understanding one another. And for those of us who, who choose to support each other, um, we're not being separatists. We just want a place where we can be ourselves, where we can let our hair down, where we can um, uh, talk about issues that are important to us and that we perhaps want to highlight uh, um, you know, in a different way or, or celebrate in a different way. And there's nothing wrong with, with, with doing that as long as we are not exclusionary, right? So all the, you know, if you're a part of an employee resource group, don't just make it about the African-Americans or, or the Latinos, right? Make it about everyone and everyone can come in and learn about your culture. So humbleness, proximity, and, um, and the, the, the last uh, thing that I talk about is flexibility, meaning that you need to have an open mind and you need to realize and understand that uh, what your um, socialization was or what your beliefs, not that you need to let go of your beliefs, but what you were taught isn't necessarily 100% the truth or the only truth or that there can be many different truths or that there can be many different um, aspects of, 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 of what the world is and that we can't be so myopic to just say what I know, what I was brought up with is the only reality and is the only truth. Um, and so you need to be flexible um, in order to say, well, wait a minute, you know, uh, I am one of, you know, uh, six and a half billion people in the world. So yeah, perhaps there are some of us that have this experience, but there are five billion others that have a completely different experience. And what is that? And let me find out more about it. Could um, it be so, you know, and so, so I think we, we, I, I said a lot in that, but I, I just think it's very important for, for people to realize that uh, people need uh, spaces to, 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 to be themselves, but that more importantly, people themselves, individuals need to be part of organizations where they, where they feel they belong and where they feel they're welcome. And I've always said the one thing I'm never going to do is to compromise who I am and to go work for someone and become a different person just because I am not accepted as I am in that particular workplace. Um, and, and I've tried to live by that. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. You know, one of the things that jumped out at me from that was you were talking a little bit about, you know, our preset um, assumptions or our so socialization. I call them our default settings, which are, you know, the things that we don't realize we've had imprinted upon us, sort of like a code in your cell phone or in your computer, you have settings, right? That when you got your phone, the settings were set this way. And normally we don't really think about how things are set up. And we certainly don't think about our internal settings in ourselves um, or that perhaps we have them from our parents or perhaps we have them from a particular instance and the settings aren't that great. There's a better way to do it. 
for a better way to think about it. Um, but you have to actually consciously realize that some, some parts of your personality or your assumptions are just that. They're just socialized settings. They're just default settings. They're not, in fact, who you are, and so you can change them. So one of my biggest pet peeves is when people say, you know, well, that's just the way I am. Yeah, well, you know, I can't change um, <laughs> because I just think it's such a falsity and such a disservice for themselves if they truly think that they are incapable of change when we see people change every single day as long as you have the desire to do it. Um, let's talk about one other thing um, before I'm going to have you do some, some rapid fire questions so I don't keep you all day, although I could. Um, <laughs> one, one area that... It, it, Here's my setup. I think when I started doing this podcast and my website, I did it because um, I'm sure you get this too, but lots of people would say to me, well, you know, you've done this or that, but I can't do it. Or like, how did you do that? It doesn't seem like, you know, that's something that I can do. Or people would say, oh, I'm going to do that. And then they wouldn't do it. And so I started really trying to process people that I know and love and think really highly of why aren't they able to achieve the things that they want to achieve? Not that I am able to achieve all of mine, but I, I feel this forward progression towards what I want in a way that makes me extremely happy with who I think I may become one day and the path that I'm on. Um, and so when the nights are long and the mornings are early and the flights are all red eyes, it's okay because I believe in this path. And I started realizing that, that I think most people perhaps don't achieve what they want for two reasons. One we talked about, which is we're very reactive as humans. We don't take the time to consciously think about what we want, why we want it, what we're good at, and how we could apply that in a way that is profitable and sustainable in our lives. And then mm -hmm. two is that if we do, if we're lucky enough to take the time to be self-analytical and figure out the answers to those questions, then it's the fear. It's like, oh man, now I know what I want. Who am I to do it? How do I do it? It's that little voice inside your head saying, like, that doesn't really seem feasible. So I always like to ask people on this podcast, you know, I know you're a big, huge dude, so you're probably never fearful. But when fear sort of tickles you and you, you kind of feel this anxiety, maybe some people call it, or stress or anxiousness, what do you do to overcome the fear when it does present itself? Um. Fear is actually, it, it, it happens to all of us. I don't care how big you are. I don't care how scary looking you are. We all are afraid of something, right? Uh, whether it's fear of failure, uh, <laughs> uh, whether it's fear of failure, uh, you know, a fear of the unknown uh, or, or actual physical fear of something. Um, and, and what I, I've realized that I do when I'm afraid, I actually focus more. And because I am, so for example, I have, I have a, a, a fear of failure. I, I really do, right? And because of that, I really focus intensely on what it is I need to do to be perfect or to be as near, near to perfect as possible so that I won't fail, so that I don't get that feeling, right? So it's almost like, it's almost like I want to be afraid. <laughs> I, I think that it's dangerous when you get too, too comfortable. I think it's very dangerous when you think you know everything and it's too dangerous when you get complacent. So, so fear keeps me alive, keeps me sort of, you know, you get that, that tingling 
uh, sensation, you get that uh, that un- uneasiness and that nervousness, that to me allows me to focus more. So for me, I actually welcome it. Um, and, you know, it's kind of funny because I'm, I used to be terrified, terrified of public speaking. And now I actually, when I go into, uh, whether it's a panel or a speech or whatever it is that I'm going to do, if I don't feel fear, I'm worried because I'm, I'm going to bomb this. I'm not going to be as sharp, as crisp as I need to be because that means I didn't prepare, right? When, when I'm afraid, when, I'm, when my palms are sweaty and when I'm about to hit that station, I have this anxiety, that's when I know I'm going to kill it because I, because I know that I focus and I prepared. And even, it doesn't, the preparing doesn't give me that, that sense of confidence, by the way. I don't know. It's kind of weird. But it's, I know just the second before I start speaking, it'll all come. It comes down for me. And I am able to focus, and everything is crystal clear. I get my messages across that I want to get to, et cetera. So fear for me has always been, has actually been something that I welcome because it makes me better. Yeah, you know what? I can relate to that. I think I always try to lean in to fear. If something is scary to me and something seems like it's not possible or I could fail, it's like, dang it, now I know that that's what I have to do. That's that's the point where I'm like, oh, gosh, okay, Cody, you've got to go give this speech on something you have no idea about because you're fearful. And if you don't do it, then, you know, one of my favorite quotes is, you know, if you, if you act as the average person acts, you will be as the average person is, which is average, mm-hmm. right? And I don't think anybody strives for that. Um, right. And the only way that you get outside of average or common or normal or status quo is by stretching and I think leaning towards fear. So, but I like that. The focus is a good, good perspective. So let's rapid fire here. So um, I'm going to link these in the bottom for some of the things that you talk about. But what about, like, I, I talk about having a Bible of quotes that I go back to. And, you know, it's my version of introspection and religious texts. Anytime a a quote sort of sings to me like a siren song, I take it and I put it in my Evernote scrolling page and I I come back to it when I struggle with fear or uncertainty or just when I need a little inspiration and I'm in a funk. So what, um, for you, do you have a quote or a, a mantra or something that you turn to again and again? I, I do. Uh, we talked about the 5P principle earlier, but I, I do have a quote that I say and that I use. And you, when you look at my Instagram, um, you know, you're, you're able to put a little quote or, or saying there. And, and mine is, tough uh, times don't last long, tough people do. And I sort of, anytime I'm having a bad day or a bad time or, or, or you know, bad week, I know it's, it's going to pass. Right. And it's never as bad as it seems. It's never as good as it seems. So I've always I'm a Libra. So I always try to be balanced. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that quote really, really, really gets to me. And it, and it, and it kind of keeps me keeps me going because I know as tough as something might seem right now, it will pass. That's fantastic. Now, what about a book that you go back to again and again? Um, you know, I, I, I'm an avid reader. I think one of the things for me is uh, reading tends to open my, my mind to many different things. And um, I, I can't say I have one in particular that I go back to. I, there, there are a couple that, that are favorites for whatever different reasons. Uh, 
you know, Juno Diaz, who is a Pulitzer Prize uh, author, uh, a friend, um, wrote uh, The Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde. And it's just a, a make you feel good story. It's a story about innocence and the and the story about this boy kind of growing up. It reminds me a lot about myself when I was young and I was, you know, sort of, you know, thinking that I was falling in love with my first, you know, love, et cetera. And then, you know, that the, the, the coming of age of someone and it's, a, it's about evolution and transition, um, you know, and conquering your fears, right? So I love that book. Uh, but another one that is more, um, uh, more serious uh, tome that is, is really... Um, uh, something that uh, I've been kind of reading lately is it's, uh, it's, it's writing my wrongs. Uh, it's life and death and redemption in an American prison, and it's written by Shaka Senghor. It is a fascinating read, a uh, story about, around, about redemption, uh, around atonement, about, um, you know, sort of writing your wrongs and, and, and paying it forward, um, and how people are redeemable and how Forgiveness is a great thing, and and so those are two books that I would recommend anyone read. Um, I, I I love them so, but I do read a lot, and 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 I I go from really like, you know, um um what you would call just just frivolous reading like a detective novel to to some of the classics. So I go the whole gamut. Yeah, I can't I couldn't agree more. I think reading is one of these days. So many things are short and sound bite like but I don't think they stick with you in the way that a difficult, trying, soul-searching book does or in the way that a book does that transports you, like like this, um, you know, the, the book by, by Juno Diaz sounds like it does. Um, I think there's just a unique beauty to it that I don't think will ever go away, no matter how small our screens get or how many characters we're limited to. Um, right. so I will make sure to link those in the show notes. And, and the, the last thing that I would ask you before I'll let you close out with whatever you'd like to is, um, you know, you, uh, have, have talked about a lot of, um, processes that you have and, and philosophies that you have, but what does like a day in the life look like for Paul? Do you have something that you do every day or, um, you know, a practice that you do every day that you think is useful for people listening or that they could take away something from? Um, absolutely. I will. I try. I try to work out every day. 5.30 in the morning, I get up and I get my workout in. I can't do it any other time because I'm either at an event or have meetings. Um, so the morning I find is a great time for me to sort of it's for me. It's my time. So 5.30 to 7 a.m., it's my time to sort of work on me. Um, I push myself, right? So I try to keep myself uh, somewhat fit. So I push myself as hard as I can. And then that I find that that gives me energy for the rest of the day. Yeah. Uh, and it gives me a sense of accomplishment. So by me starting a day in a positive note, it seems like the rest of my day goes goes well. So no matter what happens, I can I feel like I can tackle that particular challenge that day. And so that's what working out for me does every day. For some people, it might be praying, right? So if you get up and you pray every every day, I usually pray in the evening. Um, you know that may be your that may be your source of strength. So find whatever source of strength there is for you, whether it's running, biking, whatever it is, swimming, whatever it is. Find something that you do for you for yourself, uh, and then the rest of the day tends to tends to go a little bit better and a little bit smoother. So for me, that's a practice I try to 
to to to follow every day. I, it doesn't happen every day, but I, I try to stick to it as much as I can. Couldn't agree more. I don't think there's, you know, I was chatting with a friend before this podcast, actually, and and I, I was sending him a text. He's one of the humans that I kind of bounce more philosophical ideas off of. Um, and I was thinking about this idea that um, that clarity and truth actually comes from action and movement and not from thought. And, and I mm. think this because, you know, most of the times where I feel most centered, aligned, and things come to me is when I'm, I'm moving. Um, because I think you're so present in that moment. You, you, you can't be thinking about different things when you're lifting weights or when you're, you know, on the football field, or if you're having a dance party, um, or even if you're, if you're running, or I, I would say it's a different type of movement, but, you know, meditating, like intense focus on non-movement. Um, but this idea of action leading to truth, as opposed to letting our, our brain kind of overanalyze, I think there's something, there's something there. Um, so I really agree. Now, what about, um, before I have the last question for you, where can people find you? They want to connect with Paul Francisco. Is it Instagram? Is it Twitter? Um, is it email? Um, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because I don't even uh, know my handle. So what my... I'll link them. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and, uh, no, go, go face. My, my, no, my uh, Twitter handle, if you do PNICE8188 uh, is my Instagram and uh, P Francisco eighty eight is my Twitter, Perfect. and my and my LinkedIn profile. So um, and we'll link them so that people can follow you. So no problem. But you do need to talk with me about branding after this because we've got to up the fact that you have all this insight and people don't know where to find you. Um, I know, right? What are we going to do with you? Yeah, perfect example. I, I, I put myself in your hands. Your brand <laughs> scary, uh, scary thought. Make me a just a worldwide known, you know. This is my first podcast. We were joking about earlier. It's my first podcast. So when I get big, I'll I'll I'll, I'll give you part of the royalties. Exactly. Perfect. I'm going to keep you to that. You guys heard it. Um, so so Paul, I want to allow you to close out with whatever you think. You know, the, the humans that listen to this are. I think already one step ahead, right? Because they're starting to question and ask and look for non-traditional ways to excel in whatever it is in life that they want to excel in. So how, what would you leave this group if you want to leave them on one particular note? I would just say, <laughs> be bold, be big, be loud, be visible, and go get it. I mean, it's just, there's no barriers and there's nothing that should stop you from going to get what it is that you want. Um, and if you live by that and if you, you know, embody that and, and really believe that, I think that you'll get um, so much farther than what you ever thought possible that you will get. So be bold, make a lot of noise, love to hear more stories like this. I will be dialing into the podcast and listening into other stories that you, that you highlight, because I, I think it is important for us, um, you know, to, to be bold and to be big and to dream big. I love it. Well, and especially the goal here is, you know, we're humans on our climb, right? Um, you know, you've achieved a ton of success uh, in your career thus far, but you're also relatable. You know, we're not, we're not a, um, 
Sheryl Sandberg that were given billions of dollars in stock options and, and went to Harvard. You know, not, nothing wrong with that, but very hard to replicate, right? Um, but I think your stories, you know, probably a lot of people could could associate with somebody coming here, not knowing the language and the journey that you've had and the things you have accomplished, you accomplishing them allows the next person to think they can. So thank you so much, Paul, for being on the podcast. Thank you, Cody, for having me. Loved it. Have fun.